29th. My name is Daniel Dopp. Today's show is presented by Geico. Switch to Geico. See all the ways that you could save. I am here with Mike Clay and Field Jates. Guys, I have mm-hmm. not seen you in weeks. Years. I did the last two shows while. with Stefania. So, Mike, I'm going to start with you. How you been? What's been going on? Where you been at, buddy? Uh, I've been around. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember your names. Yeah. <laughs> Fiddler? Yes. Fiddler. Fiddler. Yep. Fiddler, Fiddler Fortenbaugh. Yeah. 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 Catch you on ESPN Bet Live. Yes. Yeah. So the D. Demetrius. Yeah. Jethro? Jethro. Jethro, Jethro that's, that's it. what it is. Jethro and Fiddler. That's it. Yeah. Got Got it. No, it's, it's been a while. Uh, yeah, I've been doing uh, a lot of off-season prep, getting the depth charts ready. Pulling Already? The, pulling the free agents. Got the free agent cheat sheet ready. Doing a little early, maybe 1% of where you are in rookies. Yeah. You know, because you've been doing this like the whole year. So uh, getting started on that. But uh, yeah, there's always a lot to do. Yes. And not to mention props and stuff for oh, all the playoff games. So yep. there's still, still a lot to do. It's 11 and 13 yesterday? What's that? 11 for 13 yesterday on your props? Mm-hmm. Not yeah, bad. Having, uh, the playoffs are, are rolling. I think so we're, so he, yeah, people who are listening yeah. to the show have a choice. They can either continue to not make any money or they can listen to Mike Clay and they That's can make right. a lot of money. Yep. Yeah, it's ESPN been, uh, bet. We're, we're, on, we're on fire. So at some point, we're going to come back to earth a little bit, but uh, that column. Uh, you are the Patrick Mahomes of betters right now. Betting That's analysts. right. I, look. I'm gonna enjoy the ride while I get. Oh my like, god! This is a problem <laughs> with being honest. Yeah, this is a problem with being like doing this job for a long time. Is you know you're gonna have some dips sometimes. It's right? gonna it's happen. Just, it's yeah. just a really high variance, uh, volatile game. But I'm enjoying the ride right now. We're we're rolling, and hopefully we'll do it again for the Super Bowl. Field, um, you're in the middle of a ride right now too, because I just saw you on television like 12 seconds ago, happening. and yeah. then you ran over here to part of this. I know. Like shout out to the people that are watching this show on YouTube while watching First Drafts on ESPN too, because That's right. uh, mm-hmm. starting today, First Draft every monday 2 p.m eastern time on espn2 really cool thing we're doing for the espn podcast and yeah. as everybody who watches this show religiously knows during the season mondays and fridays we were on espn2 at 2 p.m eastern time now espn is like well daniel and mike and stefania crush it so much with that that we're going to make podcasts exactly. an everyday thing yep monday through friday so hoop collective media kind show featuring lemmy uh, Lenny, excuse me. We have first draft. Uh, we have Al Duncan mm-hmm. show and uh, number five. I'm forgetting. There's which another is, uh, one. Oh, low post, of course. The go. great low post, which exactly. to me might be the best podcast in the world. So, um, yeah, uh, first draft, a lot of fun. So we are. I am. Uh, I am. I don't know. So the draft is three months away. I was going to say knee deep, but it's higher up the knee, not quite neck deep. We're like yeah. you know hip deep belly in draft prospects. Yeah, belly deep in uh, in draft prospects, guys. I tell you what. Uh, preparing to be like a draft analyst for a draft in which there are 256 players taken, mm-hmm. but there's like yeah. 650 yeah. guys yeah. that could be taken. Yeah, remember, all them teams are going to sign like 20 players after yeah. the draft. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. like, you know, I'm not, not not looking for sympathy here. I'm just noting that like uh, I spend a lot of time watching players. I watched a player uh, over the weekend who attended a school that I literally never heard of. Um, he, he finished his college career at Texas A&M Commerce, which uh, oh, okay. Dolphins fans, uh, I'm forgetting his first name now, but Kohu, their, their cornerback they signed uh, as an undrafted free agent two years ago, Caden Kohu, who's become a good player for them, by the way, went to Texas A&M Commerce. Uh, his, not teammate, but I guess they went to the same school, uh, Levi um, LDR. This is what that's what Mel calls him. Okay, Levi LDR. Damian Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. Uh, Levi Drake Rodriguez. Gosh, I'm really screwing this one up. But uh, he finished up at Texas A&M Commerce after spending four years at Southwest. What was it? It's Sag U. Southwest Assemblies of the God University. Oh right. wow! So we're out of time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's good. Good show. Yeah. It was a good one. Big hey, sleeper right there. Big I'll, sleeper. I'll tell you what. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna actually in today's show. I know we're talking about some of these draft prospects yep. field. We're gonna go through and look at the two championship games that we just had. Recap them very quickly, and yeah. then also as a part of that, look at some of the rookies that we had in this and project Let's ahead field rookies, with some of the baby. conversation that you have had. Do it. Let's go. Let's dive in then. Let's talk about Chiefs Ravens really quickly, guys. I thought the Ravens were gonna win this. Game. Me too. So yeah, so and instead, the Kansas City good. Chiefs. Yeah, like this was this one caught me off guard. I was a little bit surprised. Patrick Mahomes, though, looked fantastic in this one. What were your initial takeaways field when watching the Ravens, unfortunately, lose to the Chiefs? Yeah, two things here. First of all, is that I will be forevermore a year, a month, a week too late to pick against the Chiefs than I will be a week mm-hmm. too early. Yeah. Right? Like they've got the competitive spirit 
that I think is one of those things that is hard to find, but when you see it, you know it, right? Yep. The Chiefs have that. They are like the relentless boxer who can just find one more round of punches within them somewhere. Uh, but the fact, second second thought was the Chiefs are emblematic of what we talk about when like, you know, the, like the cliches like, you know, what's it like pressure makes diamonds or something mm-hmm. like that. When the moments get bigger, you as an athlete either respond in the moment in a positive way or a negative way. And it seems like the chiefs find a way to play their best when it matters the most. And for however many years going forward, they have Patrick Mahomes under center. I don't care if they go 17 or no during the regular season, or if they sort of stumble their way through the year, like they did, like they did this, like they did this year, 11 and six, including like, you know, like bad losses, like yeah. at home on Christmas to the Raiders with zero offensive output, like the chiefs in the playoffs, kick it up a notch. And they did that yesterday. And the Ravens not here to debate Lamar Jackson's greatness because he is terrific and he is unbelievably great and a deserved two time NFL MVP yep. in 10 days from right now. But until they get over that hump of consistently playing to the moment in the playoffs, that's the question we're going to ask is, does this Baltimore team have that next gear that Kansas City has shown, Mike? Yeah, I'm with you. And I think if you if they played this game 10 times, I think Baltimore still might have won it eight times. That's the beauty of the NFL, right? The Chiefs came out strong and then the Ravens were arguably better the rest of the game, maybe over two quarters. How about, this, how about the uh, yeah. Chiefs in the second half? You saw, you know what their drive chart was? Six offensive drives. Punt, 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 punt. Yeah. End of game. The Ravens wow. just couldn't finish off drives. Just too many boneheaded mistakes. There was a, the Zay Flowers drive, of course. Oh. I mean, he is such oh. a good player, but that was the full I mean, He makes two better decisions in this game. They might win the game. I mean, yeah. it was yeah. that's how close this game was, even though maybe it didn't feel like it throughout. But uh, yeah, it was really disappointing. And I will say this, though, on your comment about the Chiefs. I don't know if I fully agree that they've shown to step up like uh, in clutch times because they've just been dominant since Mahomes' breakout, sure, like nonstop totally. all the way through from week one to the Super Bowl this is the first time where they've really stumbled during the regular season and then kind of made the big leap in the, in the playoffs. So uh, it's a different element. And I think they know that too. I think they've been pretty clear that people were doubting us uh, for the first time and we're showing them Uh, and they have, they've been great, but you know, it's gonna be interesting. I don't know when we'll do this, but picking the Super Bowl is is gonna be tough. Okay, so my only retort to your retort is that while they have been dominant in prior seasons, I think it's very difficult and this is reflected in the fact that we have not had a repeat champion since 2003 and 2004 mm-hmm. to be the team that just won the championship because for the past five seasons, every team has circled the Chiefs on their calendar. So of I course. just have respect for the Chiefs and the fact that when you go to Kansas City or when you're playing host to Kansas City, the game means a little bit more. They typically respond to the moment and they have done so in back-to-back weeks for two teams that I really believe felt like the door was finally open. Mm-hmm. Buffalo playing mm-hmm. playing these mm-hmm. guys at home. We're the team that's been hot that has not lost and has lost like one game in two months or something like that. And uh, if you're Buffalo and you're Baltimore right now, I get it. Every fan base is wired differently. I feel like uh, Bills fans maybe like a little more beaten down. Ravens fans a little bit more like our time is still going to happen at yep. some point later. But if you're either of those fan bases right now, you are waking up this morning saying like, if we can't get these guys when they're 11 and six <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it feels like Travis Kelsey has lost a step, when are we ever going to get there? Yeah, well, you. Travis Kelsey didn't look like he lost a step. And I don't no. want to spend a lot of time on him because He's I want awesome. to talk about some of the other guys. But he had 11 catches for 116 yards <laughs> on 11 targets, by the way. I mean, it was you talked about struggled all year long, right? It wasn't the Travis Kelsey. But but big guy shows up in big oh, games. Oh, guy, is he awesome. This was, this mm-hmm. was the epitome was of that. Yeah. When I look at this, though, I want to focus on two guys. I want to okay. talk about some of the rookies. Right. Great. Zay Flowers looked fantastic in spite of the two plays that happened, unfortunately, guys, going into the end zone, losing that fumble. And uh, another one of those boneheaded things. I know you're frustrated, but when you smash your helmet on the ground and then you yeah, cut your hand right? afterwards, like that's one of those things. Like you got to keep your composure. And the personal foul. Like the it was personal, just a, that was not great. Yeah. But five for 115 and a touchdown for Zay Flowers and Rasheed Rice, nine targets, eight for 46. Both of these guys were incredible all year long yeah. as far as rookie wide receivers go. Field, I want to kind of look forward, yeah. understanding that we've got these guys here that we're talking about. When you look at next year's rookie draft class, Marvin Harrison Jr. seems to be the de facto wide receiver one. Looking back at the last couple of draft classes, how would he fit in if we were trying to compare him to some of the rookies that we've seen recently? Yeah, people need to understand that how we view prospects going 
into the draft as opposed to how we view them one or two seasons into their NFL careers is obviously very different. Yep. So take like wash away what you think of Puka Nakua right now and rewind 10 months and think about what you thought of Puka Nakua at that time. Right. Marvin Harrison Jr. is probably the most touted wide receiver prospect to enter the draft since potentially Julio Jones back in 2012. And think about the players that we've seen in that time, right? Like Jamar Chase was all kinds of highly rated, right? Yep. Like we've had other guys that have been drafted in the top five, top seven. Sammy Watkins was a player that the team that ended up drafting in the bills traded an extra first round pick to move up and get. So we mm-hmm. have certainly seen acclaimed wide receivers, but it feels like Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best prospect. And I admit, like I haven't been doing this role that I'm doing now this is my first year doing this. So it's not like I've been doing it for the past 10 years, but the general feel that I get in talking to people that either have been doing this role or people that have been scouting is that Marvin Harrison stacks up to pretty much any wide receiver prospect for the last decade, maybe even further. Mel Kiper Jr. says the last grade this robust for a wide receiver he gave out was Calvin Johnson in 2007. And how did he turn out? Is he any good? (laughs) I mean, you know, if like making the Hall of Fame after playing like a pretty short period of time relative to most wide receivers is good, then yeah. Yes, that's pretty good. Yeah, Yeah. He's decent. I just remember they drafted a lot of receivers back then. and uh, They did. So I wasn't sure did. which ones worked. That one the other Mike Williams was <laughs> number two overall, right? That's right. Yeah, they they were, yeah, that's right. Up there. Yeah. Charles um, Rogers. Also Charles Rogers. Yeah. 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 So uh, I'm, with, I'm with you. So, I mean, you talk about Flowers and Rice, and they were two guys that had, you know, in, in Flowers' case, first round pick. Yep. In Rice's case, the second round pick. They both had terrific rookie seasons. They could be top 15 fantasy receivers next year. And still, from a dynasty perspective, you want... You want uh, you want Harrison on your team. I mean, he's still the better prospect with a much higher ceiling than those guys. Even so, you know, without knowing, right now you're saying that we don't even know where Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to go. Would you still have him ranked higher in Dynasty, or is that based yeah. on where he falls? Yeah, I, I'll slot him in higher in Dynasty. Um, you know, we can get into some of those names in the range he'd be, but I'm thinking more like Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, and you know, you might even put him ahead of them if you really believe he's the real deal. The only thing he hasn't done that these guys have is play at this level at a high level. And honestly, you can make the case Wilson. I mean, Wilson, a lot of guys like that haven't really shown. They haven't had a top five season, top 10 season. Yet, yeah. Harrison is a guy we view as could be the number one scoring receiver soon. Yeah. So uh, no doubt. Let me ask you this, Mike, understanding from the other direction, right? Where does, where does Marvin Harrison Jr. fall on that list? How far down is that cutoff? Who do you have ahead of him? If you're talking about that, or is, uh, that, is it a of, pretty big list of wide receivers? I, I mean, I think just because of what you're pointing out, what your observations are, that this is such an elite prospect. This should be the next Justin Jefferson, Tyree Kill, you know, whatever, Calvin Johnson level producer in fantasy. He has to be borderline top five, certainly top 10. So that's, you know, we're talking, you know, Justin Jefferson's going to be one most yeah. likely. And, you know, you're probably CD Lamb, CD Lamb, like probably yeah. two, you know, Tyree kills probably like four or five. He's going to be 30 years old. So yeah. you have to factor that in, but Harrison's right in that range. Yeah. I mean, that's right where he should be in these rankings. People need to remember as well. Jamar chase guys like that is that we have an historically mm-hmm. deep wide receiver position right now. Yep. That's right. right. Yeah. So, and, and the league has changed, right? I mean, 20 years ago, quarterbacks were like, it was, there was a time growing up where it was a big deal for us. If a quarterback had 3000 passing yards in a season, mm-hmm. think about that now. Like you, you look, look at stat lines and you're like that guy's through for 3200 yards this year that's an awful awful mm-hmm, year right like 4000 is the minimum threshold so the game has changed a lot there's a lot more wide receiver depth so yes marvin harrison jr probably belonged in that top 10ish dynasty wide receiver conversation but i also understand if there are people who like certainty in life and they say oh i can name and you know jamar chase tyree kill cd lamb justin jefferson amon ross st brown puka nakua mm-hmm. garrett wilson chris olave jj brown, yeah. brown there's nine right there without really even thinking about it <laughs> yeah. you're like okay seriously pause on the top 10 dynasty talk but he's a special player and while we don't know where he'll land i think there is a real chance that he goes fourth overall to the arizona cardinals and while uh, kyler may be imperfect we've certainly seen kyle's kyler support you know big offensive seasons for pass catchers and wouldn't surprise me if he was the wide receiver and passing game option one for arizona mm-hmm. from the moment he gets drafted maybe a dumb question no, no maybe this thing but like obviously his dad is a hall of famer marvin harrison yeah right like how how does he stack up 
like physically to his father. Was he the same kind of player? Does he play similarly to that? No, they're so different, which is crazy. Is his dad, you know, Marvin Harrison, obviously Hall of Fame player, amazing. Um, but like diminutive relative to Marvin Jr. Marvin Jr. is like six foot three, six foot four. Marvin Harrison Sr. was like 5'11, right? He was just like this unbelievable route runner who caught everything that came his way. It was the perfect blend of his skill set and the offense that he played. And they were so far ahead of their time in Indianapolis yeah. with the way that they were operating. But Marvin's going to play on the perimeter. Uh, remember, the Colts legendarily like kept their receivers on one side of the formation. They mm-hmm. never moved. Yeah. Like that's yeah. probably not going to be how Marvin Jr. is deployed. Uh, the combine, if he participates, will be interesting because I'm not so sure that he'll be. He may not be a four three five guy, but whatever it is, it's going to look more effortless than it should. He is a pretty darn fluid guy for someone who is six three six four. Yeah. Well, understanding that he is the clear cut number one wide receiver in this class field. When you look yeah. at the rest of the wide receivers, how do they stack up again? Trying to compare them, where I want to assume that people haven't watched college football, right? Yeah. That's the part of like why why you listen to first draft because you're able to get oh, such yeah. a good a good baseline for that. So if we don't know any of those things, what other wide receivers stack up in this class? I think it's a three wide receiver class at the very top. Okay, but there's going to be a whole lot more that could go in the first mm-hmm. round. So Marvin Harrison Jr. wide receiver one, um, simultaneously like the clear cut wide receiver one. But I'm also such a fan of Malik Neighbors from LSU that the gap is not like that crazy large like if marvin harrison's a 96 97 on the one to 100 scale malik neighbors might be like 93 94 this guy's the real deal unbelievable season this past year 14 receiving touchdowns up over 17 yards per catch i think is the most explosive player regardless of position in the entire draft class now there's three stars from this lsu offense that are all going to be drafted probably in the first round his quarterback, Jaden Daniels, is his wide receiver teammate, Brian Thomas Jr. So people are going to make the argument that like LSU had more support around it. And like Jaden helped the receivers, the receivers helped Jaden, et cetera, et cetera. Isolate the receivers from each other and from the quarterback. And you can still see a guy who can flat out fly. I have made the comparison um, to Stefan Diggs prior to the last mm. 11 weeks of the season sure. when Stefan was actually producing. Um, but the ability to stretch the field vertically and plus the ability to just chew up defenses in like the eight to 10 yard range and turn those into 12, 14, 17, 20 yard plays. Absolutely love him. I'd be incredibly surprised if he wasn't a top seven or eight pick. Wow. And then Roma Dunes, by the way, Washington, I might as well just keep it rolling here. I love this guy too. Like it feels terrible to me that I have to rank him as the third best wide receiver on my board. He's six foot two, 215, 218 pounds up over 1600 receiving yards most consistent player in college football as mel kiper jr often reminds people the number one wide receiver for michael Penix jr out there at washington yep. there was no answer for him they run a lot of wide receiver screens to that offense he's excellent in that regard really good down the field excellent in 50 50 situations he's terrific in the red zone he's got a big build like i don't know that i have a perfect comparison for a guy like rome adunze um Early in the process, I thought maybe some shades of Michael Pittman Jr., but the way mm-hmm. that Pittman Jr. has been used in Indianapolis, or at least was this year, is not really how Udunze was used sure. uh, for Washington. He much more of a vertical presence than Pittman was this year, but I love him. I think he's awesome. I think both, of, I think all three of these players are locks as top 10 picks. Like, stone cold, no two ways about it, locks. Wow. That's wow. interesting because you think about... You know, we I looked at like the rookies from the last couple of years at wide receiver, and we just talked about some of them. Garrett yep. Wilson, Chris Olave, let's say Puka Nakua. Let's say that's your top tier of those guys, those right? After that, it would though it would be Jackson Smith and Jigba, Drake London, Rasheed Rice, A. Flowers, Jordan Addison, guys like that. So it, JSN, you know, and uh, actually all the receivers picked last year, all four of them were picked consecutively in yeah, the 20s. 20, 21, 22, 23. Right. So yeah. you think about three receivers who could potentially go top 10, yeah. top 12. I mean, where do they slot in for you? I mean, if we're talking Garrett Wilson, Alave, Nakua, then JSN, are you putting the, all three of them between that tier? Are you putting them along with someone like Nakua, Alave? Where do they belong? Uh, for dynasty rankings, you're yeah, saying? Like, these guys yeah. going forward? Oof. So um, I think that, Landing spots going to determine a little bit of it for all these guys. I was right? say, Marvin course. Harrison Jr. makes it easier without a landing yeah. spot. Do the other two more need a landing spot? No, or? Honestly, like, the, well, here's a nice thing is like the landing spots actually kind of shape up, I think, fairly well for each of these guys, because I think pick five is in play for one of them. 
-hmm. Justin Herbert. They could use another wide receiver because both Mike Williams and Keenan Allen have inflated cap charges for 2024, the final year of their deals. Mike Williams is also 30 coming off an ACL too. Yeah. So, I mean, like it would be, uh, you can imagine a team that's sort of starting anew with Jim Harbaugh, Malik Mm -hmm. Neighbors and Justin Herbert. I mean, we might be talking about him coming out of the gates as a top 20 redraft option, which a top 20 rookie redraft option usually equates to like a top seven or eight dynasty option, right? And, and what we've seen from rookies the last couple of years, too, even Nakua, even yeah, the target shares for Flowers, out, and right? Garrett Wilson, we could be talking top 10, right out of the gate. Totally. No doubt about it. Um, so, and then with, with and, and whether Adunze goes ahead of Malik Neighbors or vice versa, mm-hmm. you keep going down the board. The Giants have picked six, certainly need a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that Daniel Jones is Justin Herbert, but Daniel Jones threw for 4,000 plus yards last year, right? Like, it's not like he can't orchestrate a passing offense number seven will levis t- titans they certainly need help at the yes. wide receiver spot falcons probably not but you never know uh and then the bears at number nine who could be taking a wide receiver to supplement a quarterback they've taken to pick number one to me all good landing spots for mm-hmm. these guys to either be the primary receiver in their offense or the secondary receiver if it's an offense like chicago all three of the guys that i just mentioned marvin harrison jr malik neighbors and roma dunze I'm, I'm doing this somewhat blind top 25 dynasty wide receivers the minute they enter the NFL. Mm-hmm. All right. So let me ask you this question. And there's a little bit loosey goosey, right? You look at 2024 <clears throat> wide receivers were Garrett Wilson, JMO, Chris Olave, Drake London. That was a pretty good list. I mean, yep. Jamison Williams is not coming along as well. And we want to see more from Drake London, but 2022 was really good last year. Rasheed Rice, Zay Flowers, Tank Dell, who's a little bit later in that list. Yeah. Jaden Reed, Puka Nakua, Jordan Addison. I mean, it's tough. Like I'm saying top 25 and then you're like naming some guys that I'm like, dang, you know, like Tank Dell has already got a chance to become CJ Stroud's long-term number one wide receiver. Which is right? crazy, right? It, it highlights the fact of what you talked about, how this, the NFL <laughs> is such a pass heavy league now that these guys are going to get more opportunities than what we have seen in recent years. So when you look at this, I mean, I understand we need these guys to be on teams, but like the way you talk about Marvin Harrison Jr. and Romo Dunze and like Malik Neighbors, it makes it sound like this might be the best wide receiver class out of the last three, four, five years. Maybe more than that. I asked this this question to Mel who's been doing this for 40 plus years. He invented the industry and he was like, I mean, we're we're going deep into the archives to find a class that has as much Mm -hmm. wide receiver talent because beyond these three who themselves make this a headlining class. Like I was looking at, I've been working on my big board and it's, you know, it's constantly shuffling with this, with the, the all-star games taking place and um, players that I thought were going to come out that decided to go back to school and vice versa. And I think that like calling a player, a first round prospect can be a little bit of a fool's errand because there are certain years where there's not that many first round grades. There are certain years where there's maybe more first round grades than there are picks, but like I plausibly can make a case for, like 11 of the top 40 to 45 players in the draft being wide receivers. Wow. Which is wild. That now, is wild. On the one hand, that means that we could have seven or eight go in the first round. On the other hand, teams may say, why would I bother taking a wide receiver at 15 if I could get the seventh best receiver rather than the fifth best receiver at pick 45 or something? Yeah, middle right? of the second. But yeah. at some point, the pause will start. But there's just, I feel like we've had, not maybe not, not at this level, but we've had a lot of good receiver classes yeah. in the last five, six years. <clears throat> There's only so many targets to go around. You know totally. what I mean? Yeah. It, it's, this is getting tricky. Think about it. If most teams are in 11 personnel, three receivers on the field, there's 32 teams. That's 96 receivers. So yeah. you rank a guy 60th and you're going to be like, I'm disrespecting this guy a lot. But you're like, I could see him 35th as well. I mean, I mean there's, there's the- just think about Jamison Williams. He's going into year three. He's a top 10 prospect. Yeah. We've seen his explosion. We saw yes, it yesterday. Saw it I yesterday. mean, this is a guy that no doubt could finish wide receiver seven in fantasy next year. And we wouldn't be totally shocked. He has that pedigree, right? right? He has that upside. Yeah. But how do you rank him ahead of any of the any guys of we guys. just talked about? I mean, yeah, he just hasn't not. done it. There's nope. just so many guys that have uh, tremendous upside right now or, or are in great positions or some of that are in both. So yep. it's it's well, such a tough position to evaluate because there's so many good options. Well, the other reality is that uh, there is a touch of... Um, you know, like driving a car off the lot to the NFL draft in the sense that, you know, I don't know how many cars become more valuable the minute you drive them off a lot, but we know that all of them can become less valuable, right? And like, as great and as much as I love the NFL draft and as much as I hope to be as accurate and thorough and thoughtful with my analysis, I'm also accepting the minute that I start this process that like the NFL, I'm going to be wrong often, right? I saw someone yeah. ripping on draft analysts a couple of days ago about how like, you know, they constantly get these quarterback evaluations wrong. And I'm like, listen, if you think they're like, I will, I will take, if, if, 
if I sit here and tell you for the next three months that I think Jaden Daniels is a top five pick and a top three player on my board, and he goes in the middle of the second round, I'll tell you I'm wrong, right? But if I tell you that, if I say he's a top three player on my board and he goes number two overall, the NFL is also telling you that. So it's not the draft analyst unto themselves mm-hmm. get these things wrong. It's yeah. like the NFL itself, right? Like Sam Darnold was the third pick in the draft. Does that mean that the people that were pounding the table for Sam Darnold in the media were morons? I mean, the Jets took him third overall, right? So maybe the issue should be with the team. And by the way, if it wasn't the Jets at three, it was going to be somebody else at four or five. That's just how this industry and how this this sector of football development works. So yes, as much as we like all these guys, I'm, I'm mindful of the fact that mm-hmm. two, three years from now, I could be talking about, yeah, you know, Adonai Mitchell is like the 2026 version of Rashad Bateman, a guy that I loved coming out of college. And all of a sudden it's like, yeah, he's okay. Yeah. By the way, success in the NFL does correlate yep. with draft pedigree. Yeah, so it does. That's why analyst t- teams are really good. And by the way, I know sometimes mock drafts can be chaotic and we have these mock drafts and we all read them. Then we come to the draft and a guy falls to the second round or yeah. something like, you know, what uh, I'm Malik Willis, you know, yep. this, that happens sometimes. But for the most part, you're not totally shocked. Everyone's sort of going in the range where they actually end up going yep. in the draft. So the NFL is just human beings that get to that level and are studying the tape just like you are and sure. deciding who they think the best players are. And they have more resources, obviously, but uh, yeah, and you're right. I mean, the league's going to be wrong sometimes. We're going to be wrong sometimes. It's part of it. It's just like fantasy, just like betting. It's just like the criticism going on of analytics right now. Yeah. You know, it's like, hey, well, if yeah, you're yeah. using analytics, it has to be right 100% of the time or no, it it's not no. useful. Yeah. It's just complete embarrassing nonsense. <clears throat> but yeah, you're right. You, you need a process and you follow that process over time. It's going to work out more I'll often you, than it's not. Yep. One player that teams did not follow the process on. Yep was 49ers quarterback Brock Purdy. Mm. And shout out to him for a huge win over my Detroit Lions in the NFC Championship game. Well, no, let's talk about it. I haven't talked about it with anyone. I'm going to be very clear. I've, n- I've called my dad after the game. Okay. I've not talked about this game to anyone else over the last 16 hours. Because Smart man. I really don't want to. Why? I can't I, believe I, I don't so want this, to dive into it. This, this uh, could go a lot of directions. Yeah, yeah this could go a lot of places. I'll <laughs> tell you the, what. Uh, beep button available right now? 49ers? No, 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 no. First half, Detroit Lions looked good, right? Second yeah. half the 49ers looked better. And that was one of those situations where you see this team, you see what Brock Purdy did. You see all the pieces that are are available to the 49ers. They have so many weapons on offense. It's unbelievable. Shout out to them being able to make it. And congratulations to Stefania Bell and Papa Bell and Mama Bell for being able to have another Super Bowl that they get to watch for the Lions. Everything started out as good as it possibly could have. That first Mm -hmm. half was as good as it possibly could have been. You saw them utilizing their stars. Jameer Gibbs, David Montgomery, Sam LaPorta, J-Mo, Amon Ross St. Brown. And then in that second half, it's just like, you know what? Defense got tougher. Didn't make the same adjustments that the 49ers did. So all Unforced errors. It was just a handful of plays. It was just a handful of plays. The fact that that Josh Reynolds dropped two passes, that's really tough. Yep. That that missed interception yep. that became a touchdown like that's brutal. By the way, you know why they did not lose uh, Dan Campbell going forward on fourth down? I, so let's just don't even want to get into down. the analytics. Don't, stop thing. embarrassing yourself out there. Do you have a they take or no, Daniel? Yeah, I trust Dan Campbell in analytics one hundred percent of the time. Year. Yeah, They've been doing it for say. years, and we applaud them all the time, and it's and it's great. And the both field both fourth down attempts were borderline calls. In fact, when they went for it, I didn't even bat an eye. It made perfect. It was logical. Like you could have said, okay, you could try a long field goal. Fine. But it, it made sense to go for it. Michael yeah. Badgley this year. In, in, so Michael Badgley in his career, a 50% field goal kicker from a, over 50 yards, by the way. And he's yeah. over 45 yards. Over what 40 if he missed it? Yeah. Then he'd be great and criticized for kicking it when he's been exactly. going all year. It's just right. complete 100%. nonsense. There was nothing wrong with those calls. I applaud him for being aggressive. No, and that's been a big offense. part of why that offense has been good all year long. Yeah, you have to make a decision as Mike's phone goes off here. You have to decide in life whether you want to be a process or results-driven person. And yeah. I think that being process-driven is a fundamental part of the job that we have in fantasy football. Sometimes the results get you, right? Sometimes Jared McKinnon just keeps scoring receiving touchdowns right. in eight straight games right. or something ridiculous, right? Um, sometimes the process gets you, right? Sometimes the process rules the roost where you start to sniff things out that you're like, there's no way this can keep going. And then guys who for the first month of this regular season look like stars 
all of a sudden are terrible and hot garbage for the mm-hmm. rest of the season. Mm-hmm. That's how it works. It's and tough. Mike, I think, did a nice job of capturing it very succinctly with Dan Campbell is that if you're going to spend all year applauding Dan Campbell's aggression and conviction and belief in his players that got him and then to the get mad at him game. because he decided to believe in his players, his offense specifically, then I think you're speaking out of both sides of your mouth. Yep. The only call that I vehemently disagree with was at the end of the game yeah, when they decided to run the ball on third and goal from the one-yard line because there's a significant risk there if you don't score right away you are absolutely basically you you are you're just sacrificing a timeout Mm -hmm. which then means that rather than kicking it deep and opening the door to you know three straight stops on the ground getting a punt and maybe having 40 or so seconds to try a field goal eventually you are saying we have to convert an onside kick that rate is extremely low that was tough everything else was fine by me agreed fine and you know what cool part about dan campbell is I'm sure he's frustrated. I'm sure he's sad. I'm sure he's thought about it. Maybe consider doing things differently, but like he knows what the circumstances are and he knows the consequences of his actions. Yep. He believes in it. He doesn't run away from that. Yeah. Nothing will change next year. They're probably gonna have a new play caller, which is, but otherwise, you know, I was pulling, I, I immediately do this, you know, I start pulling the free agents off the rosters, moving them to a free agent list. Most of the lines are back next yeah, year. Yeah, the line will be back off. Gibbs, Montgomery's under contract. You've got <clears throat> yep. St. Brown. You got Jamison, Laporta. Yep. The defense is almost completely there, and that's a young group that's just going to get better yep. next year. I mean, the Lions. That, got a, that division is going to be awesome next year. Really How, well, we haven't said that in a, in a while. Trending up, especially yeah. if Kirk yeah. Cousins comes back to Minnesota, Chicago better. Packers obviously super young team. But that I, that might be the division to watch next year. It's totally. gonna be fun. Yep. Yeah, I, I'll say this in looking at this Lions team all year long. So much fun as a Lions fan to be able to ride the mm-hmm. wave as long as I could. The best Lions season I have ever been a part of as a fan in my 41 years of mm-hmm. being alive on this yeah. earth. So I would not trade any of it. In spite of the fact that we lost, I would not trade a single moment of it because I got to watch some awesome football with my family in a way that like it's never been more important than what it was. If people haven't, they should go check out the piece that was on Sunday countdown yesterday about the lions fans. Like brought me to tears. Very good. That was our sports is something that all of us believe in. And you are the youngest looking 41 year old of all time. Daniel, congratulations. (laughs) But you know, it's been, um, it's been really cool to see just how happy this, season has made you and how much you and the yeah. entire city of Detroit deserve this and uh, no shame in the effort from these guys this Absolutely. year. They accomplished a whole lot and football is this unpredictable sport other than Patrick Mahomes. Nothing is inevitable, <laughs> but I got a feeling that um, this Lions team, this is just the beginning and not like the one missed doing shot, this. right? This is not we're the, doing yeah, this field. Yeah. This year was, we're right. Dan Campbell and we're not the team that is, you know, got that one window and we've, you know, we've, we've tried to barge through it instead Correct. it got slammed shut on us. So, um, Big fan of what the Lions accomplished this year and uh, nothing, nowhere to go. Oh, I guess there is other There's ways to go. Some more, there, more ways to go but up. he is uh, going to go yeah, up. Yeah, they, I've they are going to go season this year. Yeah. Yes. I know. I'll tell you what, not everyone was a fan of the Lions draft this year, but one of the things that they did well, they hit on basically everybody, and that started with Jameer Gibbs. He looked unbelievable at the running back position. Yep. All year long, this kid is set up to be a stud. And I don't want to just focus on Jameer Gibbs. Let's kind of move this forward like we did with the wide receivers. It was really Jameer Gibbs and Bijan Robinson. Those were the two first-round wide receivers that we saw this year, Mike. Running when backs, you, but yeah. But sorry, did I say wide receivers? Running yeah. backs. Yep. When you look back at these two, mm-hmm. anything stand out about the running backs that came out of the 2023 draft class? Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think they were both deployed very similarly. They were kind of, they finished lower in carries, but obviously super high in uh, in targets, receptions, yep. all, all the receiving work. Uh, Gibbs, super effective on the ground. We thought he might be more of a playmaker in the passing game, which he was, but his effectiveness on the ground was outstanding. Actually fifth in yards per carry and his yards per target was kind of low. So I thought that was kind of interesting deployment, but got better as the year went on. More, uh, a lot of work near the goal line, even with David Montgomery scoring all those touchdowns. So I love Gibbs. He's in position for a larger workload next year and uh, another step forward in fantasy. And uh, Bijan, new head coach. New head coach. That's really what it comes down to. This one's a nowhere to go but up. Yes. This is that's the, where yes. I was trying that's to use that at. phrase at. Yeah. 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 That's totally fair. Zach Robinson comes in. And it's funny. There was just a quote out there on social. Um, and I'll just, I'll just let the source go. But it, it, a, a source from uh, one of our competitors said a coach told him that basically that people that use analytics are just people oh, that can't that. get into the I NFL or they oh. can't, they can't be coaches. That kind of complete explicative, but anyway, gets under my skin. Zach Robinson used to grade players at PFF. I mean, this is a guy that after he was a player in the NFL, 
thought that was it for him. Yeah. He went to PFF, uh, learned a lot, impressed Sean McVay. Uh, McVay, he's been there for the last five years, now has an offensive coordinator job, and will call plays for Kyle Pitts and Drake London and B. John Robinson uh, in this, uh, and, and Raheem Morris, one of the most respected assistant coaches in the league that now becomes a head coach. So he joins Bobby Slowick, who used to grade players at PFF as well. Yeah. These guys are going to use next-level uh, decision-making Call it analytics if you want, whatever it is. This, I'm very heated about this. Yes, topic. I can tell. I love it's it. Been, you know, I've been kind of kept keeping quiet on it for the most part in social, but it's driving me nuts because people are so just idiotic about this topic. But uh, these guys are going to bring next generation football to these offenses, as we saw with Slowick this year with CJ Stroud, and as we're going to see in Atlanta. They need a quarterback, but once they solve that, uh, really excited for what Robinson could do with these guys. Do you know who loves analytics for decision making in the games? Uh, Bill Belichick, another guy yeah. who couldn't oh, yeah. get a job other than if he yeah, well maybe couldn't get a job in the just NFL. Just one of the new young guys. You know what? Right. Just one cares about the stats. That's a guy that right. goes. He needs like, to go to PFF, and then and then like those other guys, he can finally get out and right, do something with right. his life. Yeah. Taking intentional yeah. safeties back in the day. Remember, you know, he had this big long gap. Uh, I think it was like 15 years from a coach down 14, scoring a touchdown and going for two as mm-hmm. opposed to going mm-hmm. for one. The the calculus behind that. If, if case people missed it somehow <laughs> last week, uh, statistically, you are likely to convert a two point conversion at a higher than 50% rate, which means if you run two two point conversions, the likelihood of you ca- scoring at least two points is higher, higher than exactly two points, which is what you would infer by kicking the field goal. Thus, if you do it and you convert it on the first try, you're down by six and you have a chance to win the game in regulation. If you miss it on the first try, the odds are you're going to convert it on the second try. Tie ball game. We're back at square one. The last coach to have done that prior to that big gap was Bill Belichick himself. So, mm-hmm. I, you yeah. know, they listen, man, it's a um, I've tried to be less online. The draft job has helped me. And being less online for conversations like Brock Purdy is a game manager, analytics is a thing or not, um, yeah. that stuff, it's, it's helped my mental health a lot. I'll tell you what, I wanted to get off Twitter all year, like the beginning of this season when it was just nonstop. That Jameer Gibbs pick was a waste of a pick. What a wasted pick to grab a guy that early. Yeah, Mind baby. you, he finished, and we're talking about fantasy football. Yep. But Jameer Gibbs finished as running back seven. Bijan Robinson, in spite of all of the frustration, was still running back 16. Mm-hmm. Field, when you look at running backs for 2024, knowing that those are the two top rookies that came out of this class, yeah. does anyone even going to touch like close to that range in 2024? Let's go ahead and move forward now to tight ends. Oh, all right. Okay. No, you know, it's, it's a bad, if for all the great, great talk of wide receivers this year, it's a bad running back class. Again, okay. bad in terms of how we are assessing these prospects prior to the draft, not how these guys turn out because look at what happened over the weekend. Some of the key contributors in the running game for the four conference championship teams included guys that were not first round picks. David Montgomery, third round pick, obviously Gus Edwards, undrafted Isaiah Pacheco, seventh round pick justice Hill. I think he was a fourth round pick out of Oklahoma state a few years ago. Right. I mean, um, it's, it's a position where you can find diamonds in the rough. I think Blake Corum from Michigan in the right spot is going to be a really good player. My top rated running back in this year's class is Jonathan Brooks from Texas. Problem is he tore his ACL a couple of months ago, so mm-hmm. he might not be ready until the start of the season. He could be a PUP guy. If he had been healthy, he probably would have been a top 45-ish pick for me in this upcoming year's draft. You've got guys like Braylon Allen from Wisconsin, one of the youngest players in the draft, six foot three, 225 pounds, absolute freight train, but Wisconsin, for those that follow college football, they know this already, moved away from their roots. Wisconsin was like Iowa for years, right? Power football, hire Luke Fickle. They run this spread offense, much more like the rest of college football. Braylon Allen was kind of a fish out of water there. His draft stock plummets. So um, there are not great prospects in terms of where I anticipate them being taken, Mm -hmm. but I can guarantee you a handful of these guys will end up having useful roles at some point during the 2024 season. But that's the kind of calculation you cannot make until the draft is over. By the way, where we talk about how strong receiver is going into <laughs> next season, running back's the opposite. It's just gross right now. So this yeah. is not what we want to hear. No, I mean, we have, but, <laughs> that's, but, but, but yeah. that's not a surprise because what's yeah. happening now is kids at a young age are transitioning to wide receiver yep. mm-hmm. because I think there's probably a parental influence here. If you see your kid is, you know, in sixth grade making, you know, trying out for the varsity team, you're probably saying to your, to your child, like play wide receiver, because if you're as good now, or if you're as good eight years from now as you are right now, and you're getting a scholarship, like, and you can play in the pros, there's just more value in wide receivers. Uh, I, 
Yeah, I was just going to say, I wonder if it, the future of the running back position is more like Debo Samuel. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like more like 8 to 10% carry shares, maybe sure. to multiple running back, multiple right. wide receivers. <laughs> Honestly. Uh, you know, that that could you're be. You're telling yeah. me, you know, baseball's seen this big thing over the past few years of like, you know, teams with not starting pitchers, but opening inning pitchers. I think it's, I mean, I'm like apparently the old man yelling at the clouds, but having like sort of, I think it's sort of dumb. A guy goes out there for like three batters and they're like, all right, and uh, that's enough for you. Daniel. Next Dodd. guy's up. Next guy's up. It's yeah. very confusing to me. But again, I'm admitting that I am being very curmudgeon in that stance or on that stance. Um, I wonder if you're right. Maybe that's what like, you mm-hmm. know, it's everybody gets like five to six carries. Mm-hmm. Well, Derrick Henry isn't is a is a, is a fossil. Yeah, point. I think there'll be an element of that for like situational, you know, right. be situational closing sure. out games like yeah. a Tyler Algier type player, a Gus Edwards type player. If you're protecting a lead. But yeah, just throughout the game, like playmaking, yeah. like long, you know, third and eights draw, like sure. just kind of how Debo's used. So and we've already seen so much of that because running backs, like for a long time, right? Like you would, you would watch these bell cow running backs hit like 20 carries mm. a game. Yeah. If, if a running back hits 20 carries in today's NFL, it's like that guy got a lot of usage on the ground. That's, that's the exception, not the rule. Yeah. Right it's now. funny. Who's the best running back in the NFL? Christian, Christian McCaffrey. McCaffrey. He had 20 carries. Against exactly. your Lions, right on the number. He hasn't had that for a while. Yeah. Like, that's rare for him to get there. The only other times that Christian Cook, because I wrote about this, the only other times that he had 20 carries to see was in week 11, weeks one, two, and four. Mm-hmm. He's also maybe the best catching running back in NFL history, and he no longer catches passes. Yeah, that's, that's super weird. I mean, relative to the rate and where he was oh, during his Carolina yeah, days, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, like yeah. he was like 100 and, you know, like 100 catches was like a very possible thing for him during a season. Like 50 is like a pretty good number for yeah, it was CMC like, now. <laughs> it was like his fourth best year ever in catches. We just talked about what his ceiling is for carries, and he was still the number one scoring fantasy running back by what, almost 100 like, points? Yeah, crazy. And, and, yeah, running back just not in a great situation. Right yeah, let's just, I'm just going to pull this up just for uh, for reference purposes. Christian McCaffrey's catches by season, 80, 107, 116. Those were full seasons. All right, since then, uh, this year, 67 catches. Wow. Yeah, so obviously he's had a bunch of years where he did not play a full season, but this mm-hmm. year, 67 compared to 116 right. his last time. It's still obviously a great number, but compared to where he was on this historic pace, he has changed his game. That mm-hmm. is crazy. Hey, even though CMC is not catching as many passes, <clears throat> we had a plethora of tight ends, especially in this championship round, yeah. that are out there doing their thing. Sam Laporta looked unbelievable as a rookie for these Detroit Lions. On the other side of that game, George Kittle, even though he didn't do a whole lot in this he one, rules. like he's yeah. incredible, right? Yep. Travis Kelsey on the other side he of the rules. Chiefs game. And then Mark Andrews. I mean, you might have had the four best tight ends in the NFL playing yesterday. So when you look ahead field, yeah. there's one tight end that everyone is talking about, and that's Brock Bowers. Anthony Ferkser. Oh, stop it. it. Was that was first good. Target that was good. Season. And he uh, was on the end zone on former, that one. Former, yeah, if he knew where he was, if he knew there was no defender near him, he would have scored for he sure. Scored. You know he what? He went he to was. Harvard. He must be an analytics guy. That guy, he that's, didn't that's know where he was. He's, you know, he's too worried about the numbers. He didn't know where the end zone That's it. That's what happened. Brock Bowers from Georgia Special, though. Do we... Stefania and I mentioned this the last couple of shows. I want to know if you guys think, have we closed the book on the, you cannot trust rookie tight ends in fantasy football. Is that a dead rule or is that still something that you're worried about based on the tight end? uh, I'll just say it's not dead, but I think you kind of, it's an, it's where the needle is, right? right? It used to be like, don't trust them at all. It just never, ever, 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 literally ever happens to maybe now if the situation's right and the player's right, maybe there's more appeal to a late round flyer kind of thing. So I think it's moved. Okay. It's changing, but sure. it's not. I'm not just going to be like, well, throw it out the window. Well, all might as well be a three year vet. You know? Yeah, I'm going to throw it out the window for Brock Bowers, which is really good. Okay. And okay. he's going to end up in a really good spot. Like, I think there's a, I mean, I, th- I think five is like a little, like a touch higher. I would just be drafting a different position. But if sure. he goes to the Chargers, obviously, that would be a very special landing spot. Uh, if he ends up at like, you know, like 15 where the Colts are, like that to me is a spot where they have a lot of tight ends, but they could use a difference making tight end. The Jets were to take him at pick 10. Obviously, they could use a difference making pass catcher. Absolutely. And if the three receivers are gone, that would be a very valuable spot, even with Tyler Conklin still being there and being a solid player. Um, but that's that's kind of it. Like the class drops off pretty tremendously after that. There's a Jatavian Sanders from Texas. Probably the next man off the board is Mike is smirking his way through my comments. I am. I'm just, uh, I'm enjoying this. I love this season. Just connecting oh, players best. to spots, whether it's free agents or yeah. Oh, yeah. rookies. It's so exciting to think about, oh yeah, put them on the Colts there. And the, they, they low-key used the tight end a lot, but there's a lot of guys to your point. Oh yeah. my God, the Jets. Oh my God, the chart. Like, yeah. it's just like, 
awesome. It's oh. just fun to think about. I love Mock to see some. are going to be yeah, all just connected. The next few like just here. your mouth watering over <laughs> potential landing spots for these guys, whatever yeah. position. It's so fun. Yeah. So it'll be uh, it's a one man tight end class for sure. Jatavian Sanders could be like a top 40 ish pick. Uh, really good athlete from Texas. Uh, they have great pass catchers that are out in the draft this year. Adonai Mitchell and also Xavier Worthy from wide receiver spots who uh, could be first round picks as well. Uh, but then after that, it's I would say that uh, like tight end three through tight end call it like six or seven is probably a matter of like, what's your preference? There's uh, a bunch of guys who I think could be I call it a cluster like third to fourth mm. round wide, uh, tight ends. Sure. And by the way, this kind of leads back to your question. So you're saying this, you know, aside of Bowers, not the, a great class last year was considered to be in one of the best tight end classes ever. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense that those guys were more impactful in their yep. first year. So, you know, obviously Laporta was a second rounder, had more success than any rookie tight end ever. Dalton so that was still kind of an outlier. Yeah. Uh, but even, you know, Don Kincaid or Luke Musgrave at times, there were guys who were contributors. But again, it, it was considered to be a very strong class uh, as opposed to this one. If Dalton Kincaid did not have Dawson Knox split in time with him, I think we would have seen a really, really strong rookie season out of him as well. Because when yeah. he did have it by himself, mm-hmm. he looked really good for us in fantasy. Well, that's yeah. a reminder. And get ready for me to talk about this. 9,000 times in August about how we always like there are very few players who carry value that is similar from the start of the year to the end of the year Mm -hmm. right so like I don't know where Dalton Kincaid finished in terms of tight end fantasy points for the full season but there were weeks in which he was literally unplayable because he was not playing then there were weeks where he was literally top four for like four out of five weeks and it'd be hard to have him ranked any lower than that Dawson Knox being out, the Bills passing the ball a ton, et cetera, et cetera. So pockets of the season often are uh, overshadow our end of season analysis because the truth is that there are very few guys other than like a Christian McCaffrey and a few others at the top of the board this year who were the same from the start to the Mm -hmm. finish for as great as CeeDee Lamb is. And he was the highest scoring wide receiver in fantasy this year. Pretty darn compelling case of the better fantasy pick was Tyree Kill, because for Tyree Kill, absent the game that he missed, he was dominant every mm-hmm. single week. Yep. CeeDee Lamb was, and not his fault, but like the Cowboys wouldn't throw him the ball for the first yeah, month of the season. That's right. right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dalton Kincaid, for what it's worth, tight end 11 on the year. Right, and mm-hmm. it probably feels like he was better than that because of, of his how games, he finished. Right, yeah. right. So, mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about quarterbacks too, because I think this is one of the spots where, like, yeah, when we're, if we're the just, bread is buttered, baby. Yeah, yeah, we're looking forward and just looking at this year's draft class. I'm yep. not sure, like, these are the guys that we talk about. C.J. Stroud, yep, right, yep. clear number one, awesome. Yep. Anthony Richardson still has some question marks, but I'm really interested yeah, to see super because of that, right? Yep. And then you've got both Bryce Young, which we hope that there's more there. The, the Panthers just need to give him some weapons. Yep, and then we'll see what happens with Will Levis. Field, when you look at this year's quarterbacks, how would they compare just to the 2023 rookie class that I just mentioned? I'll set the over under a number of quarterbacks taken in the first round at five and a half. I'll take the under. I think it's five by the time mm-hmm. we get to the end of the process here, which is now less than three wow. months away. And we had four three this last year. Yep. Three are locks. Caleb Williams, Jaden Daniels, Drake May. You choose your order. Mm-hmm. I think those three picks uh, are likely to be one, two, three in the draft. Caleb right. Williams would be my most likely number one mm-hmm. pick. I think Bo Nix and J.J. McCarthy end up being first-round picks as well with Michael Penix Jr. right there on the bubble. Uh, of course, from Washington, unbelievable season. He's a little older, isn't he? Isn't that the thing? One he of the is. Things He's going to be 24 the week after the draft. I think you have to decide whether the age matters to you or not. I am not an age guy. I mean, it's, you know, we're not well, talking about we Brandon. Got an, we got an age guy on the yeah, show. It's certainly not you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said one of the show. Yeah, um, Who, what is he? 24. So Caleb Williams, USC, super dynamic. I mean, unbelievable athlete, uh, 90 total touchdowns mm-hmm. plus over the past two seasons, awesome. 30 plus passing touchdowns in each of the past two seasons, 10 plus rushing touchdowns in each of the past two seasons, super dynamic in and out of the pocket. I think a worthy candidate to be the number one overall pick Drake may from UNC. Go ahead. Can I pause? Oh, yeah. Do you have, and I know that you, you might not like this or it's, yeah. this is a tough thing to do, but do you have a player comp again? If we didn't watch college football, like who would you say is like a Caleb Williams? That's so he's a harder one to have a player comp for, um, than the, than the next time. Okay. So I have not, let's pause. Made my we'll pause on Caleb that Williams. 
player comparison. Well, I'd, I've been reading about Williams too, and you just laid out all these stats and all the things he's great at and his skill set. But didn't he like hug his mom one time or something? Right, he did oh, hug he, his mom. So he, he can't. He can't be, yeah, you yeah. can't. You can't Correct. draft him yeah, first the overall. This course right? has been. Very I mean, like, weird. You know, like people are mad about analytics, but then he gets criticized uh, for that. Like, yeah. it's just like that, that's it's been that's, a weird. I know. God, we forbid. need to do a whole show on this whole topic. Oh no, I'm telling you, like, I'm just like just gear up for some weird Caleb Williams discourse over the Oh, yeah, it's already started. It's already started. It will continue. I think he's awesome. I think he's an extremely worthy first uh, overall pick selection. Yeah, by the way, super flex drafts are going to be fun with that top spot. You and I are in a situation with the first pick. However, uh, Caleb or or Harrison with that first overall pick. Or Drake May. Or or Jaden Daniels. Daniels. That'd be my pick. I was going to say sooner or later, I'm going to get to the guy. Fantasy pick over Caleb. Dual threat quarterback. Yes, because Jaden Daniels this past season led all division one college football players in yards per attempt. Minimum 100 rushes because, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a bunch of guys that have eight carries. Um, But I mean, we're talking about one of the most explosive runners in all of college football last year as a quarterback. On top of that, over the past two seasons, he has combined for 78 total touchdowns and seven interceptions, including 40 touchdowns this past year. The kid can absolutely sling it. He's an incredible downfield thrower. I get it. He had two awesome wide receivers in both Brian Thomas Jr. and also, of course, Malik Neighbors. But imagine this guy now going number two overall. Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson. I get it. Dotson's down right now, but I certainly could see a bounce back season next year. Maybe, not guaranteed, but maybe Ben Johnson as the coach there. I mean, that to me would be very, very tantalizing and exciting. The player comp, you're going to hear it 10,000 times between now and April, is Lamar Jackson uh, because athletically, there's very, very few people on the planet who stack up to Lamar and Jaden Daniels. He's that kind of explosive. Not quite as athletic as Lamar Jackson, which, I mean, how many people are? But yeah, I mean, that's that's going to be the kind of comparisons that you're going to be hearing between now and the start of the draft. The fact that he had a 10 to 1 touchdown to interception ratio. I know it's college, Insane. right? But like yeah. that's unreal. It's like Justin yeah. Fields yeah. sort of, sort yeah. of numbers. His fields were ridiculous at Ohio State. Um, here's my question, though. So Daniels is preferred in fantasy. Why yeah. not overall? Why would you not put him against Caleb Williams? Is it like a... Mahomes, not, not, I don't you know, think I'm it's that making, crazy of a thought. Yeah, like, okay. Is that like a Mahomes Josh Allen sort of fantasy versus reality? Sort no, of I thing think where, I think it's I, I think that there is I, I don't think it's a guarantee that um, Caleb Williams. I don't think it's a guarantee that Jaden Daniels can't go number one overall. I think mm-hmm. all three of these guys could go number one overall. It's if, if I were to imagine some of the tiebreakers, I think I, I have Caleb Williams like the superlative passer. Uh, mm-hmm. Of these three and as a result to me the number one player in this class. He also is younger than Jaden Daniels and Daniel mentioned the age. It doesn't bother me as much, but if you're trying to nitpick and you've got a 21 mm-hmm. versus a 23 year old prospect there's, I mean the Browns he, as an example, a team who is definitely analytically inclined, mm-hmm. go check their draft history. They only draft young, young guys, right? Yeah. It's been a little bit harder over Except the past Brandon years. Whedon, who was yeah, 20. It's been a pat. It's been tricky this past couple of years because there's been so many old prospects with the COVID year. But there are teams that skew extremely young by design in the draft. If the Bears felt like Jaden Daniels um, and Caleb Williams was a close one and the toss-up could be as simple as the age, then that would be sort of an advantage that Caleb Williams has. But I think for fantasy, yeah, I mean, we're talking about that kind of rushing upside. And obviously, it depends on where he lands as a landing spot. But he just completely changes the math of your offense and your opponent's defense. The second he steps on the field um, needs to probably take a few fewer hits. Uh, The body armor is going to be a talking point over the next couple of months. He was at one point, 180 pounds in college. He's now up to like 205, but think about how much talked about Bryce young a year ago. It's going to come back up once again. And then Drake may is like, you know, dropped off from quarterback factory, six foot four, 230 pounds, unbelievable athlete as well. Not at the level of Jaden Daniels, obviously, but very functional athlete. Uh, the comparison you're going to hear a ton is Justin Herbert. You know, had amazing, amazing season in 2022. Did Drake may he uh, won all four of the major awards available in the ACC, including like freshman and newcomer of the year. The only other player to do that in conference history, Jameis Winston, who I know he's a different player in the pros than he was in college, but he was one of the great college players of the was. past quarter century. So Drake may to me, uh, he might have the best combine throwing workout. Like the guy is a strike thrower in the middle of the field unbelievable player just didn't have that great of a season this year during a year in which Jaden Daniels did. He literally won the Heisman trophy. Mike, do you have anything? Otherwise I got questions I'm going to ask, but I want to, yeah, a lot just, of times I I'm stuff. just thinking through where we, where we size these up compared to like a CJ Stroud, for example, who, 
you know, it doesn't seem like he had quite the pedigree or the draft grade of a Caleb Williams or maybe in your mind, a, a Jaden Daniels. Certainly Caleb, I feel like, is, is one of the most hyped up in a, in in a, a long time. Yeah, yeah, like going back to, what, Andrew Luck maybe? You know, it's, it's been a while. So, yep. you know, I think Stroud, you know, you, we, you and I, you guys and I were talking about this before the show, which is, you know, like CJ Stroud, for example, maybe doesn't have quite the pedigree, but we've seen it. We've mm-hmm. seen him play at right. that level. Yeah. So I feel like he's the safest fantasy option going forward of all of these guys yep. because it looks like he's maybe a top five quarterback in this league going oh, forward. Totally. Whereas Caleb might be the best quarterback in the league for the next decade, but we don't know for sure. Like we he, don't know. These guys bust all the time. So, you know, I feel like Stroud is still the best from the recent drafted quarterbacks. But yeah. after that, you know, Anthony Richardson missed most of this season. We don't know for sure on him as much as we yep. like him, but you know, Caleb Williams, Jaden Daniels, maybe, maybe Drake may right there. Here's right where there. I think, here's where I think we're comfortable at right now talking about, I'll start with Caleb and Jaden Daniels only because Caleb is the special prospect. Jaden just has a different avenue to fantasy upside that Drake has some of, but not as much of, which is the rushing ability is that as we've, we've noted over the past couple of years, but it really came into focus again this year, right? We've got like this tier of guys that are like, in, like that's like indisputable, right? The Mahomes, Allen, Hertz, Lamar, healthy Joe Burrow, mm-hmm. Justin Herbert, CJ Shroud, call it like seven ish, and I may be forgetting one or two there. I apologize if so, but like those seven got them, yeah. feel to me like really sort of locked in. Then you've got the next tier of guys who like when things are going great, Trevor Lawrence and and, and I think Fields, Jordan Love and Justin Kyler yeah, Murray, right? Like Richardson, if things go right, yeah, it can be like very, 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 very good, but. You could also, you know, it hasn't been great consistently or hasn't been great long enough, right? Mm -hmm. Like Jordan Love got hot again at the end of the season, got a really bright future. But until we see it for a full year, you can't quite put him in that category as like fantasy, no doubt about it, stud. That's where those guys fit in, right? That like, got to see it first. But like, if you told me like your dynasty ranks, if someone said like Kalo's my quarterback eight in dynasty, I'd say that's justifiable. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, Do you think that there is any devil you don't know versus the devil you do know, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that there's anything, and I'm just a stupid fan projecting this in my head, right? But like coming out of last year's draft where everyone is talking about, boy, I'll bet the Panthers wish they had taken CJ Stroud, knowing that you've got three incredible quarterbacks at the top. Is this going to be one of those, like, I know teams already put so much effort and energy into making sure they have all the puzzle pieces figured out, but seeing what happened last year, is there any more like... I don't, I don't know even the right way to say it. Is there more on the table that teams have got to figure out when they see, hey, just last year, if the Panthers had just taken C.J. Stroud, maybe they would have been in a better spot. Or is that, do teams or the NFL or do people look at it as though that's not a C.J. Stroud versus Bryce Young thing? Bryce just doesn't have the weapons that C.J. potentially has on his yeah, team. I think here's my, my takeaway from what happened last year is twofold. One, I don't think there's going to be a trade up to pick one because the price is going to be so prohibitive. The teams are going to say, you really got to nail it. And if you don't nail it, then it's going to automatically, it could potentially sink your franchise. Two is um, the minute you draft a quarterback, I don't care what your roots are. I don't care what your background is. If you're a defensive mind head coach, you must make every decision within your franchise that is geared towards making that young player better. It Mm -hmm. sounds fundamental, but clearly teams don't do that. I mean, Mm -hmm. clearly, right? Like Mm -hmm. I get it. Adam Thielen had a great season relative to expectations. Adam Thielen should not be the number one wide receiver for rookie quarterback at 33 years old. He just shouldn't be right. Mm -hmm. He's an unbelievable player, right? The guy's been a pro bowler multiple times, but you need to have something. You need to have much more dynamic players around him and you got to have a coach. You're not going to fire after 11 games around your rookie quarterback as well. You said something interesting there though, which opens a whole nother can of worms, which is you don't think there's a trade up to one. What happens then? Because they're not, they're not going to, you're going to take a quarterback and trade fields. Trade fields. My thought. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I I mean, interesting. I There's do a lot think, of hot takes I mean, of on that. Of course, yeah. there could be a trade up. I think it's unlikely to be a massive, major one from like eight to one, because I just like knowing what they had to give up last year. Well, the thing is, you, I, you can to me, you can artificially cross off Team Four Arizona, and Team Five Los Angeles with Herbert, Team Six mm-hmm. the Giants with Daniel Jones and his contract for one more season, Team Seven the Titans Will Levis, Team Eight Atlanta. That's the first one. But then you're like, is Atlanta going to send the farm to get? pick one or with a new head coach that has time on his side, will they say, let's try to sort of get an upgrade, but also not spend all of our booty right now on a quarterback. I was just going to say, I think it's interesting too, if a team at two or three, 
wants to move up to one because they have a preference and give up a you know second round pick or something like that. Listen, because it doesn't affect the Bears if they're going to stick with Fields. They yes. want to take oh, Marvin Harrison right. third. Or um, if I'm the Commanders or I'm the Patriots, I'm standing pat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the Patriots uh, in some ways have the hardest job because their roster might be the worst out of those three. But in some ways, they have the easiest job because your job is to just wait for who gets the third mm-hmm. and just take that quarterback. Yeah. Right, and like the pressure's off you. Right, the pressure is pretty immense. Maybe even on the commanders of pick two, because if Caleb is viewed as consensus 1.01, people aren't going to decry the Bears for taking them, taking him. But if he goes one and it's this debate all the way until April about Drake May versus Jaden Daniels, that's a pressure cooker yeah. situation for a new GM. Are you doing any consulting for Washington? I'm just wondering because <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out which way they're leaning for my mock draft. So um, yeah. yeah, no, I haven't. Yeah, you're not going to be doing that. Okay. They, if, if they hire one of the, you two as the head coach, then maybe. But mm. up to this point, I have yeah, not. Sure. No. Yeah, I think Mike would be the only one that's in line for head coach job because I've not worked at PFF, unlike some of the other that's guys. Right. That's, that's right. Part. That's I right. do know yeah. Adam Peters, though. My first year as an entry-level grunt with the Patriots, there were three men who were uh, scouting assistants at the time. A man named Franchi Jordan has gone on to great success as a scout, including he was the scout that found Malcolm Butler. Nice. Um, Brian Flores, you guys may have heard of him. Of course, I've heard, I've heard of, of him. him. And yeah. Adam Peters, the new Washington Commander. No GM. way. Love so that. It's actually amazing. insane the number of people that were in the office at that time that have gone on to either like GM, coaching jobs. It's like, I do so not good. take that for granted. I understand that, like, I know, you know, people have said that Bill Belichick tree has not thrived elsewhere. I'm not going to sit here and debate whether these guys are good head coaches or not. But I think it was really cool to think about that much, like, mental horsepower in one spot at one time. Yeah, but you're part of that, right? You consider yourself part of that Bill Belichick the tree. tree. Yeah. So, like, I mean, you did, yeah, I mean, you've done you know well. What? In my defense, <laughs> I have never lost a game as an NFL head coach. That's right. That's true. That's never. right. That's so, true. Undefeated. Last That's, question I have for you. Analytics for you right there, hey! people. Boom. Uh, last question I have. You talked about the Falcons at nine. Yeah. Do you think if they don't eight. go one of the eight, if yep. they don't go one of those early quarterbacks, like yeah. is that a JJ McCarthy, Michael Penix conversation, or is that they got an, if those guys nail the pre-draft process, Bo Nix, JJ McCarthy, Michael Penix Jr. could go off the board as soon as pick eight. Mm. That's going to be something else. We have five quarterbacks <laughs> in the top fifteen or something. We haven't seen that, that in two years, three years. Justin Fields, uh, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Mac Jones. Oh, wow. Yeah. Other than that, that has not happened often. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yes. That one. yes, I am not disappointed that. Listen, Bo Nix uh, does not have the overall physical traits as the three guys at the very top of the board. My biggest, my, my only ask for fans that are thinking about Bo Nix is divorce yourself of what he was as a player at Auburn. Mm. That Bo Nix is long gone. The Oregon Bo Nix, new, improved, and an outstanding player. Love it. Yeah, he was awesome this past year. And that's why teams sometimes draft those younger guys because they're not the finished product yet. Right. Yeah, right. that's 23, 24, crushing at the college level might be at a ceiling. Totally. As a guy that's yep. 21 and has a breakout season, you know, a guy has a breakout season at 21 versus 23, they could still be getting better. That's, and that's yeah. part of why you yep. lean that way. Totally. Um, so it's, there's a, so much to do over the next, I guess, uh, 90-ish days. You so. know what's crazy? Normally at this point, I am like right with you, Field. I am belly button deep in draft talk. Yeah. But because the Lions made the NFC Championship game, this is the first year in my life. I I've literally not even looked at a single draft prospect. Mock Usually you spend a month are... worth of like, hey, who are we taking in the top five? <laughs> Shout out to the Lions, man. <laughs> I'm so excited. The 20, I've never been more excited to have the 29th overall pick in my entire life. So, But shout out to the 49ers. Shout out to the Chiefs. It's going to be fun. We will talk about them more next, next week. week in our preview of the Super Bowl. But Let's for go. now, thank you guys for hanging out with us. This was a ton of fun. We'll be back next Monday like we always are at 2.30. And also, check out First Draft, ESPN2 yeah, yeah. On Mondays at 2 p.m. Field Jates, Mel Kuyper Jr. Always a good time to be able to learn more about some prospects that maybe you don't know about. Can't wait. We love you guys. Friday. We'll see you next week. Peace. See ya. I like that we have a laugh track now or a clap track now. Right? It's because we're a comedy podcast. Nailing it. (laughs) If you need a stick of tide, Field is your guy. If you're in Bristol or in Farmington, you should find another ride. Candidly, he hates Mike Clay, and you know that it's a fact. Every hater's gonna hate. Cause he's on TV every day. A spicy tomato who's got the stats and tweets that'll make you laugh. He's our favorite host, and everybody knows his name. He's Field Yates.